Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Um, I am uh, really grateful uh, that, uh, that, that we're blessed today to be joined by a very special guest, my friend Kate Ayers, who is the CEO of Reestablish Richmond, which is an extraordinary uh, organization that helps to uh, resettle refugees uh, here in our area. Uh, and so um, I'm going to have a conversation with, with Kate in just a moment um, about um, about her work and about uh, the work ahead for us all. We are, as I mentioned at the beginning of services, we are uh, participating this Shabbat in Refugee Shabbat, um, which is uh, a program sponsored by HIAS, which uh, in its inception was uh, known as the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. Uh, it uh, was uh, the, an organ- one of the organizations uh, most responsible for helping to resettle uh, Jewish refugees here in uh, the U.S. Um, throughout uh, um, much of the history of our uh, immigration to uh, the United States, um, and often as refugees, um, which is a, a, a checkered and, and sometimes uh, fraught history, our own history, um, as a refugee people. And Hayes often says uh, that uh, one of the motivations for their work is that our people were refugees too. Uh, and that is certainly true uh, in many different instances throughout history that, uh, that the Jewish people have been uh, a refugee people, uh, including in many instances in the Torah itself. And so we read in today's portion in Parashat Pekudeh, the end of the book of Exodus, uh, about our refugee people uh, having left uh, enslavement in Egypt, generations of enslavement in Egypt, uh, wandering through the wilderness uh, on their way to find a permanent home. Uh, They end up building God a home in their uh, journeys, which is what we read about today. But the question the commentators ask is why? Why did the children of Israel build God a house? Uh, God is everywhere. God doesn't need a place to live. Uh, So why did the children of Israel build the Mishkan? Uh, Why did they build God a house? And some of the commentators say that the reason is because God first provides them a house. Once the children of Israel leave Egypt, uh, it says that uh, that they dwelled in Sukkot. And then we learn a little bit later in in booths or huts. And we learn a little bit later that we're to celebrate a holiday called Sukkot. Uh, because I caused them to dwell in Sukkot, in, in shelters, when I took them out of Egypt. When they were refugee people, I gave them a place to live, God says. And so some of the commentators say that it is in response to God's act of love and kindness and generosity of providing us a home when we were most in need and we were most vulnerable, that we respond in kind. By building a God, build, by building God a home as well, it reflects the value that we have in our tradition of emulating the divine. That just as God provide, provided us as refugees with shelter, so too are we called to do the same for first God in our Torah portion, and then for others who are in need. So, for many of us in the Jewish community, that's the that's the why 
we are called to the work of, uh, of, of supporting and helping to resettle um, and advocating for the inclusion of, uh, of refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and I'm so glad to be able to bring you into this conversation, Kate. I, I'm curious, so that's a little bit of, of like my why and uh, of uh, the why of many of us in, in the Jewish community, um, why we're engaged in this work, because we believe that, uh, that it reflects God's love and God's kindness, and so we want to offer the same to others. And it, of course, is something that we have experienced ourselves throughout history. Um, What's your why? Why are you involved in reestablished Richmond and in refugee work? Thank you. Thank you. Is this? Working? I think it's on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me here. Um, I feel very welcomed. My children went through the JCC, and even though we are not a Jewish family, we feel very loved, and my children still call you my rabbi. So <laughs> thank you, um, Rabbi Noff. Um, you know, I, I've been thinking about this question um, for a while, and uh, I am a part of a, a Christian church. I attend Tabernacle Baptist Church down the street on, at Grove and Meadow. And over the last month during Epiphany season, the theme has been, we make the road by walking. And sort of focusing on this idea of our faith journey on a road, continuing on, and as we continue on that road, we pick up different things. and. You know, I, I'm from a very small southwestern town in Virginia um, where I did grow up in a Baptist church and I learned the value of um, loving my neighbor and uh, serving my community. And then I went on to college where I studied um, special education and psychology and I sort of picked up how do you operationalize breaking down barriers for people who have them um, first you know, and in, in the sense of learning um, in schools with students with various disabilities, but but now language and cultural cultural barriers for our newest neighbors. And then I came to Richmond, and I was invited to attend a, a church done by the a class done by the Catholic Church on social justice issues, and um, I became aware of a much larger um, world in which. Um, creates refugees, you know, and I learned about sort of the larger pauses and, and um, experiences of the refugee community and became very interested in that from a social justice point of view. Um, but then I went back to, I found a uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church in my young adulthood, and they were welcoming Burmese refugees um, and at the time. And, the Burmese were in Burma and they were escaping religious persecution and um, Tabernacle, they found a home and I saw what it looked like for a faith community to welcome another faith community and help them find home, literal homes and a home in the sense of a, a safe space to worship. Um, and then a friend of mine uh, decided that he was going to start an organization because he saw this need in the community to bring um, all faiths together to focus on this issue, to coordinate efforts, to fill in gaps. And then I found myself starting a new career um, with no training at all about how to work in the nonprofit sector. And what I found is all along, I've just continued to stay on that, that road um, of my faith. And all along, I've continue to be nurtured um, and 
given me the things that that I personally need, um, you know, spiritually and, you know, operationally to 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 continue growing the organization. So, you know, I that's sort of where I've come to with my why. It's it's a lot of things that have influenced my life. Well, that's such a a, a powerful story, and uh, I, I resonate so much with that. Right, that the the, uh, the 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 pull of uh, faith to um, to care for those in, in need and to build a better world. I'm, I wonder if you could share with us, especially for those who may not be as familiar with the reestablished Richmond's work, um, just like some of what you do. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, we were founded in 2010 to um, fill in gaps and uh, in the refugee resettlement uh, system. So um, Rabbi Knopf mentioned HIAS, which was an organization here in Richmond, I believe, that resettled refugees mm -hmm. for a while. Um, so we were formed to fill in the gaps of those like formal, formally federally supported agencies. Um, and what what does that look like? Um, Let me just kind of just pause for a second, because yes. so, a lot of people may not realize this, that you know, when, when uh, people um, apply to come to the U.S. as refugees, um, the, the government itself doesn't exactly, isn't exactly the one who, um, you know, helps bring them in and uh, and get them settled in whatever area of the country they're going to live in. They sort of outsource that work to um, NGOs and other nonprofits like uh, like here, Commonwealth Catholic Charities or um, the International Rescue Committee, things mm -hmm. like that. Yes. Highest yeah. is another one. Yeah. 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 And so we kind of fill in the gaps of, of the, those services that are already um, in the community. And um, we really focus on long-term self-sufficiency. So those agencies are really focused on the beginning of the journey of resettlement and we're focused on the long end game. So looking at things like making sure people have transportation independence. I started my morning today um, joining a group of Afghan refugees and volunteers who are going out to ride GRTC to learn how to navigate the public transit system. Um, and I was able to give them information about uh, how to get a driver's license in Virginia. We um, partner with um, Henrico County and other um, local agencies to provide things like um, uh, emotional support groups for newly arriving uh, refugees. We uh, have a very active volunteer um, group who um, we match people with uh, to be English tutors and help people study for their citizenship and navigate the immigration system. So, um, and then we also have an economic empowerment program that helps um, empower women to learn the skills of sewing um, and then help connect them to jobs in that industry. So um, sort of focused work, focused on long-term self-sufficiency. And you've you've now mentioned uh, two different populations in, in in the course of your remarks. You've mentioned uh, Burmese uh, people and Afghans, and, uh, and and I know that you serve you know many other uh, uh, communities as well. So I, I'm curious if we can uh, talk about that for a minute. You know, so uh, when we planned Refugee Shabbat, uh, I think probably you know insofar as uh, the the worldwide refugee crisis was top of mind for any of us. Um, it was related to um, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, after the uh, the war ended uh, this summer, um, there you know seemed to be um, 
a tremendous you know exacerbation of the uh, refugee crisis uh, because of what was happening in Afghanistan but now of course you know our minds are are very much in Ukraine I, I heard reports I, I mentioned earlier that that something like one million people are now refugees or internally displaced within Ukraine um, and, and so I'm, I'm just wondering um, a, a couple of things you know one is um, how would you describe like the state of affairs in like the worldwide refugee issue and how does that look um, in the US and, and here in Richmond? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I think looking at the, the larger picture, I think there's over 80 million people displaced from their homes. And that was, I think that statistic was before the fall of the Taliban and before the situation in Ukraine. Um, and only less than 1% of that number ever get resettled permanently as a refugee in a home. And so when you're thinking about the scale of people who need to find a safe haven um, and the people who actually do, it, it's, it's, it's quite stark. Um, that said, um, in terms of who has been coming to the United States, so in, in Virginia, I can give some statistics, I think, we welcome from 2016 until 2021, right before the Afghans started coming in, over 8,000 refugees, and over 66% of those were from Afghanistan. Um, the other groups coming in were from the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Burma and Syria and Sudan. Um, and then, of course, since October of 2021 until now, um, the U.S. has welcomed over 80,000 Afghan refugees, um, and I think the latest reports are the plan is to continue to welcome them um, in smaller numbers over the course of the last few next few months. Um, so, in terms of um, that situation, and then and then we're talking about Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine, it feels like it's a really difficult thing to think about. Um, how the U.S. refugee system will continue to welcome that group of people, but I do believe that um, it will take a, a year or so because I think the Afghans are coming in now um, and then the people are, are in Ukraine fleeing and they're processing. So when they cross the border out of Ukraine, they find a, a center that is governed by the United High Nations High Commissioner on Refugees and then they begin their refugee status processing. That processing usually takes up to five years, to be quite honest, before they actually get filtered through the refugee resettlement agencies and then here in our communities. Um, so I think that we are on um, you know, a journey towards um, needing to continue to welcome and find creative, collaborative ways to welcome and find home for these individuals. So it's it's stark to hear the scale of, of what you're talking about because you know that's 80 million before the uh, the afghan crisis and and then also before ukraine it's it's yeah. pretty uh, uh pretty extraordinary um and and i i should also say i mean i mentioned uh um it, you know we've mentioned now a few different categories of people right there so there are refugees i mentioned uh internally displaced people so those are people that are uh, refugees in the same sense as other refugees, they just haven't crossed the border leaving their country. Um, there's also other categories of folks who kind of are in a similar uh, situation. Uh, we allow people in on special immigrant visas, especially if they, like uh, like in Afghanistan, have uh, helped American 
horses in in uh, in in combat and things like that. And then there's asylum seekers too, who are who may not have fled because of uh, war or uh, environmental disaster, but maybe fleeing uh, political persecution, religious persecution, or something like that. So, um, I, you know, but so we're talking about like the the scale of the crisis. Um, how many? of those of that 80 million you said one percent gets resettled mm -hmm. anywhere or one percent gets settled in the u.s across the the world so how many yeah. does the u.s res resettle yeah so um if we're talking about that that very narrow um group who of people who have refugee status um the president gets to determine that number every year um and i believe uh the number was a hundred and 25,000 set by President Biden at the beginning of this year. But of course, previous to that, our previous administration under Donald Trump, he had pretty much broken that system. And I think the lowest, like 30,000 was, it was the most number, the highest number of refugees that were allowed to resettle in the United States. So um, I think that's an important thing to realize where we are in, in sort of the worldwide rebuilding of, um, we're rebuilding a refugee system that has been broken down over the last four years. So we were at the lowest. So all those refugee agencies that, that we've mentioned were at bare bones in terms of their staffing up until October when all of a sudden, almost overnight, they were expected to completely rebuild their um, staff structures and processes to be able to meet the needs of the demand. So that is where we are now. We're in the rebuilding of resettlement um every all the organizations are hiring staff and training staff and getting prepared to continue to to be able to provide services so when that number is increased uh when the president increases the number does that mean that it that that it coincides with additional uh, resources funding for the um, organizations on the ground who are actually doing the work yes yeah, so um the um the money does get filtered down and it is based on the number of people who are allowed to come in. So each family is allocated a certain amount of money. Um, and I want to say it's like $1,200 per person. That's the money that's guaranteed from the federal government um, for each individual um, who comes to through the resettlement agency. And that money is passed down through those agencies to the families. I'm kind of curious about this because you know uh, the 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 refugee experience of the Jewish people um, has been one of both um, uh, relying on the you know the the generosity and hospitality of nations like the U.S. Um, and and on the other side, um, uh, longing for return. And I'm wondering, like in your experience with the with the folks that you work with and serve. Um, do the folks who get resettled here, uh, is, it, do they long to get back to where they came from or, or you know, do, they, do they see, you know, this is now my home and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we want to really become yeah. part of this community? It's just a curiosity. Yeah. I, yeah. I hope there's no yeah. value judgment implied there. Yeah. yeah. I think it's mixed. You know, um, I think when I talk to people and they um, share their story, they are often talking about their family that they left behind. They're talking about the country and the culture that they left behind that they loved. So, you know, before the Taliban came in, for example, when things were more open and vibrant and, um, you know, women could go to school. And so that's sort of 
you know, where um, they tend to, to focus on is, is the beauty and the things that they miss the most from their home. Um, that said, I think that, you know, we are a land of, of resources and, and opportunities and the majority of the families that we know, even if they long to go home, they want their children to grow up here and have access to a good education and the things that um, you know can be afforded to them here in our culture. So I think it's kind of a mixture of both. But um, I, I I very much believe that all of them have expressed some sort of you know longing for their home and for their their families. You know, almost all of them have family members that they left behind. Um, and, and it strikes me as, as you were sharing that, that, you know, uh, so many of the situations that, um, that, that uh, produce refugees in the world, you know, like Afghanistan as, as, a, as a clear example, um, are uh, either directly or indirectly the result of American action. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, on, uh, on, on the other end of it to say, you know, that, uh, that, that we're uh, at the very least, not going to take responsibility for some of the messes that we've created yeah. is, is really challenging. I find really challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, I think that that's one of the, that's part of of the story that that it's sort of the elephant in the room sometimes when we're talking to families. And, you know, I, all I have received is, you know, gracious welcome from everyone that I've ever um, encountered, every home that I've ever visited. Um, the pandemic has been very difficult for me because I haven't been able to to visit homes um, and get to know people. And when you're able to go into a home and receive the hospitality that is unparalleled, and I'm from the South, um, is is really a beautiful thing. And it it's um, I'm not sure that I answered to your question, but I I think that it is something that um, we we don't acknowledge. Um, and I wonder what that would look like if we started acknowledging that a bit more in our communities. Appreciate that. So um, as, as we uh, uh, move toward the end of our conversation today, I, I, I'm mindful of the fact that um, there's, there's a lot more to talk about and, and even more to do. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, as we observe this re refugee Shabbat uh, and learn about and recommit ourselves to, uh, to, to this work that's, that expresses a core Jewish value, uh, how can we get involved? What, what would you recommend yeah, that folks in, yeah. in our community do? Yeah, I think there's lots of things that you can do um, at the national level. You can advocate um, the 80,000 um, Afghans who've come here under the Afghan, um, uh, um, I forgot the name, parolee. So the, the, all the 80,000 Afghans who've come in here the United States are under a parolee status, which only lasts for two years. And after that, they are going to have to navigate the very difficult and very expensive immigration system unless Congress passes an Afghan Readjustment Act that would allow a more expedited pathway to legal permanent residency. At the state level, um, Virginia has a new Office of Newcomer um, Services that oversees um, the federal monies that come through the system, but are also is also looking to expand and be able to offer uh, longer and more extensive services to refugees and immigrants that 
will filter down to you know organizations doing the groundwork. I know that there are several bills going through, um, you know, the are just down the street here that you could advocate with your local representatives to support refugee and immigrant resettlement here in Virginia. And then here locally, um, Richmond has already welcomed over 600 Afghan evacuees. Um, and there are many needs, you know, um, talking about the, the, sh the, the homes, what was the word, shukat? Uh, the the sukkah. Sukkah. Yeah. Sorry, the sukkah. Just when you said that word, like offering literal home, if affordable housing is very difficult. So if you have rental properties that you can rent at a reasonable rate or connections in that space, that is something that is very much needed. Um, volunteering. Uh, Reestablish Richmond, the International Rescue Committee, and Commonwealth Catholic Charities all have very vibrant volunteer organization or volunteer um, programs. Uh, we are a small staff, and so our volunteers are doing the on the ground work. Whether you want to teach someone to ride the bus, help teach them English, drive people to an, a, a class, an English class, or a health appointment. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways to get involved here locally. Um, I will say, uh, like I, I mentioned, all the organizations are building their capacity to be able to manage and support and deploy volunteers. So I would encourage you to, um, you know, to reach out and find out what their sort of system is to be able to do that. Um, I think that, you know, when you're out in the community, People, a, a smile and a welcome and a acknowledgement that people are here that maybe look different than everyone else in Richmond, it goes a really long way. Um, and so I think that there's lots of different ways that you can get involved, but I would, yeah, I would urge you to, to, to stay up to date about what's going on and um, get involved. Well, thank you for that. And, and uh, uh, if uh, folks want to uh, get involved and in, in, uh, volunteer with Reestablish Richmond's work, uh, feel free to be in touch with me and I'm happy to put you in touch with, uh, with Kate or other people at Reestablish Richmond. Uh, we are also uh, per uh, participating uh, with, uh, with some partner organizations in resettling uh, an Afghan family ourselves uh, in, the, in the coming months. Um, and so we'd love your help. We need help with that effort. It's a, it's a big effort, as, uh, as Kate said. So uh, please talk to me uh, or to Kristen Gorn, who's here. Kristen, can you raise your hand just so everybody, thanks. Uh, so uh, please talk to us and, and uh, you can get involved in that effort. Uh, and we also, uh, on the other side of things, uh, uh, tried to uh, do a lot to advocate for more affordable housing in our city and in our wider region, which is uh, uh, hard work in and of itself and necessary work. Um, and so you can talk to Kristen or me uh, about how to get involved with that as well. Uh, I'm so grateful that, uh, that you're here, Kate, and that there are uh, angels like you uh, who are um, literally, I think, doing God's work uh, and uh, helping to make ours a, a more inclusive com uh, community uh, and a more just uh, and, uh, and, and compassionate world. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I wish you all luck as you begin to work with a family. It's, it's a beautiful, exciting way. And I would encourage you all to get involved with those efforts and reestablish can offer support, supportive as you all get um, working with the family more directly.
Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah well, we'll definitely look Thank forward you. to continuing the conversation. Thank you. So Shabbat much. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.